The new September WASDI both confirmed some expectations and offered some unexpected surprises for historically tight grain markets. What does all this mean ahead of Harvest 2022? That's today on Field Posts. DTN Progressive Farmer podcast that dives deeper into the most important trends in agriculture to explore the business's cutting edge. I'm your host, Sarah Mock. The September WASD dropped Monday, September 12th, and with harvest looming and the crop looking lackluster, grain markets in particular are on tenterhooks as they await any new information about the 2022 stocks. DTN's Todd Holtman joins us to unpack some surprise adjustments that USDA made ahead of the September 30th report. And as corn and soybean information gets an update, he'll put it in context, giving shifting demand at home and abroad and the risky input market going into this winter. Plus, we'll discuss why wheat markets matter to all grain growers, dig into livestock updates, and talk bears and bulls as we unpack Todd's final overall outlook going into the harvest season. More on inflation, China demand, and European natural gas supplies right after this word from our sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by MyDTN. In today's environment, it's essential more than ever to get the most current and accurate information to help save your valuable resources and continue to be profitable. Get access to all the information you need to deal with this change from DTN. As the leading independent trusted source of actionable insights and market information, MyDTN gives you accurate weather forecasts, the most extensive database of grain bids, and the most timely news and analysis from our award-winning news team. These features and more are available 24-7 via desktop, laptop, and any mobile device to be with you on the go. Learn more at mydtn.com and start a free 14-day trial. Now, back to the show. I want to add a quick note for listeners here. DTN lead analyst Todd Holman and I both found ourselves out in the countryside this week recording this podcast as close as we possibly could to when the WASDI was released. Todd this week is in Grand Island, Nebraska, and I am in Albany, Georgia. Both of us are working with less than perfect rural broadband connections, so we appreciate your patience with our sound quality this week, and and don't fret, by next week we will be back to normal. Now, Todd joins us today to discuss the September world supply and demand estimates. Todd? It was a kind of a crazy week or so going into this report. Talk about expectations and what analysts that USDA might be talking about this September? Yeah, I have to say the anticipation for this report, I think, really started on August 8th when we had our digital yield tour here at DTN. And our meeting with Grow Intelligence that morning, they told us that the corn estimate that they had expected was a yield of 167.2 bushels an acre. And that was a bit shocking at the time. Most of the private estimates at that time were 174 to 176. And it was really the first time that GROW was saying, no, this crop is not good this year. It doesn't meet expectations. The growing conditions just haven't compared to what we've seen in the past five years. And then it was about two and a half weeks later, we had the traditional crop tour go through and they went into the fields and pulled back the husk. 
And they found a similar conclusion. They said 168 bushels an acre on the estimate. So that's quite a buildup of drama heading into this report, which is the first time USDA ventures into the field and looks at their own objective field data from the plots that they have. So that was the big buildup for today's report. Talk about the top line readout. What was USDA's kind of response to, not that USDA is responding to the tours, but what was USDA's kind of conclusions and how did the market move in response? Well, I would say, as many of us suspected, USDA did move the needle in the direction that we were pulling them toward, but not as completely or as far low as what either us or the traditional tour expected. So USDA's new corn yield estimate, 172.5. That's down from 175.4 last month. That's a significant drop in yield and is a bit of a confirmation of the problems that we've been talking about from this year's stretches, largely of hot and dry weather in several of the states. Let's get into the crops specifically. Let's start with that corn. Uh, number that corn conversation, how the updated production numbers are fitting into existing stocks and USDA's expectations for those global corn figures going into the next couple of months. So it, in addition to the lower yield estimate that USDA gave us, they also gave us a bit of a surprise today in that they reduced the estimate of planted acres in corn. And instead of 89.8 million, now they're saying 88.6. So they brought the corn acre total down 1.2 million acres. It's now the lowest corn planting we've seen in seven years, which to me is hard to wrap my mind around when you realize that we had such high prices at planting time. And much like last year, we had lots of incentives to plant all the corn we could. But of course, we did have some weather problems this year and uh, there were prevented plantings in corn, just a little over 3 million. So of all the years where we need just about all the corn we're going to produce, we lost some at planting time and then weather hit us in summer. So we lost yield. Now we're looking at a corn crop estimate of 13.94 billion bushels. This is the lowest corn crop we've seen since 2019. Our new ending stocks estimate, Sarah, is 1.22 billion bushels. And that is the lowest ending stocks for corn we've seen in 10 years since the 2012 uh, drought situation. So here we go again. We're at historically low levels on corn supplies as we head into winter. And of course, my mind first goes to how that squares up on the demand side. Talk about how the global picture in terms of demand is looking and where corn is going at this moment. Yes, of course, with Ukraine being so severely impacted by war this year and their production being somewhat restricted, and of course, the movement of grain, still a very difficult thing for Ukraine. We have one less major competitor in the world when it comes to exports, and our exports are actually held up very well. The old crop season, it looks like it's going to end with 2.475 billion bushels of corn exports in the season that just ended August 31st. We got a 25 million bushel boost in that estimate in today's report. The ethanol side of the coin, as far as corn demand goes, tapered off a bit right at the tail end of the year, and USDA reduced that estimate by 20 million bushels. It's, we're going to end the old crop season, it looks like, with 5.33 billion bushels for ethanol. Still a good figure still up from the previous year, still a good healthy rebound from the pandemic slowdown that we saw. 
but just a little bit of a drag there at the tail end of the year. And before we switch to soybeans, a little bit about all of these very record love factors coming into this corn market right now. Yes. Well, if you recall, we saw a big sell-off in both corn and soybean prices earlier this summer, and it was largely speculative liquidation in both of those contracts. We saw a very sharp selling, and it was largely related to fears about outside markets. So the specs were concerned about talks of higher interest rates from the Fed and the possibility of recession and all that kind of fear-mongering that was going on. They bailed out of their corn and soybeans, drove prices lower in mid-July, and now those prices have rebounded significantly. Both today, we're looking at the highest closes for December corn and November soybeans that we've seen in over two months. So we've had a nice, healthy rebound, and it's largely been without speculative participation. So this, once again, is just another very strong sign of a very strong demand market with very limited supplies. I want to switch gears and talk a little bit about soybeans. All of the major grains have had their moment in the spotlight so far this year. Corn is definitely there at the moment, but talk a little bit about the soybean situation, what USDA is talking about in terms of the crop that's about to come out of the ground and where that fits into the overall stocks picture. Yes, actually, I'd say most of us, myself included, thought that USDA would probably keep their soybean crop estimate near a record high level, which is anything above last year's 4.43 billion bushels is a record high. And uh, we thought we would still be up there in today's report, but USDA had a bit of a surprise for us. They trimmed the planted acres just as they did with corn. In soybeans, they trimmed the plantings by a half million acres. And then they cut the yield estimate by 1.4 bushels an acre. We're now down to 50.5 bushels an acre. That's a little lower than many expected. Although I will say DTN's digital yield tour has a soybean yield estimate of 48.4. So they're still looking for an even lower yield estimate by the time we get to the end of the season. Today's surprise from USDA brought the soybean crop estimate down under 4.4 billion bushels. And it brought the ending stocks estimate for the new season down to 200 million bushels. That's the lowest ending stocks that we've seen in seven years. And obviously, we're just starting the new season. So we've got a whole season ahead of us. And it looks like it's going to be a, kind of a bullish bid fest for very tight supplies of soybeans. And again, my mind goes straight to we were already in such a tight demand space, given crush expansion, given global activity trading soybeans. What is the demand picture that USDA is looking at? Has that shifted at all given USDA's changes on the productivity side? You know, when they reduce the crop size this much, they have to make adjustments to demand because now they're looking at a market where the supplies just aren't as readily available as what they thought a month ago. So they did reduce the crush estimate by 20 million bushels in the new season, and they reduced the export estimate by 70 million bushels in the new season. Now we'll have to see if those two things play out, but even with those demand reductions, that ending stocks estimate still came down to 200 million bushels. So it tells you, I think it gives you a good feel for just how tight this market actually is. We, we have to say that we have not had weekly export sales data. I, most of the listeners probably realize this by now, but USDA has a technical glitch. We haven't had a good export sales report since August 11th. We're supposed to have one on September 15th, which will bring us up to date, but we've been a bit in the dark the past several weeks. 
But even in those that kind of blackout period, we've seen lots of new crop soybean sales announced on a daily basis. So I continue to suspect that the export market still is very active for soybeans. And also China's own soybean price really has not faltered a bit, even though we're hearing all kinds of bearish headlines about China. The soybean price on the Dalian exchange in China remains near its highest level in two much in two months, much like ours does here in the US. So they, they don't show any let up for demand on their part yet. And give us an update on the soybean basis front. How are prices looking for producers across the country right now? Yeah. Now, if we're just looking at the flat prices of soybean bids across the Midwest, we have seen deterioration. Our DTN soybean index of cash bids is down 82 cents from where it was a month ago. However, the basis itself is still 10 cents above the November contract. And for this time of year, it's still somewhat impressive to have a positive basis. So we're still looking at the strongest basis situation in eight years, even though we have seen a transition from old crop soybean bids as we get closer to harvest. That that part's kind of a normal deterioration. But in spite of that, the basis is staying historically strong the way it is. So just a very good sign of domestic demand. And of course, we see that in the crush values as well. Just very good domestic demand for our U.S. soybeans. I want to switch gears and talk a little bit about wheat. Wheat is not in the spotlight right now, is what I'm going to say. But give us an update on how USDA is keeping track of stocks there and if they had any updates. I I would say to those out there, even if you think of yourself as primarily interested in corn and soybeans, you ought at least lightly stay in touch with wheat because we have a very tight wheat supply situation as well. And that's adding bullishness to the scenario for corn and soybean prices as well. There's such a correlation among all the grains. When wheat supplies and rice supplies get tight as well, that also adds to the overall demand level for all the grains. So I think it's still good to know that global ending wheat stocks And in this total, I exclude China for a lot of reasons, but for the main reason is they don't export wheat, so they're not a supply to the world. So if we look at USDA's estimate of world wheat supplies apart from China, we still see wheat supplies near their lowest levels in 14 years. 4.56 billion bushels is the estimated total. And here we are just a couple months away from heading into winter to have such tight supplies. It just sets up a whole bullish scenario where end users are going to have to bid prices higher to pull supplies out of the market and get what they need. So this is setting up to be another fundamentally bullish situation this winter. We'll make one last diversion and ask you about the updated livestock numbers from USDA. Obviously, the grain situation can be disappointing on the livestock side, but yeah, give us yes. an update on what USDA had to say in this report. Yes, the cash sales have been discouraging lately. We haven't seen much packer interest for negotiated trade the past couple of weeks, and we've seen the cash price suffer somewhat. But the futures board has stayed fairly firm in the October and December cattle contracts. Looking at USDA's estimates here uh, on Monday, there is not a big change in terms of the uh, production estimates. And the main thing to keep in mind is that as we go from this current year, 2022, into the new season, USDA is expecting 6% less beef production. Now, that's a reflection, obviously, 
of the beef heifer liquidation that we've seen this year, largely due to inability to to get affordable feed and water for their cows. Just been a very stressful situation, especially in the southwestern plains this year. We've seen a lot of cattle liquidated. So that is showing up in the estimates for next year. For fourth quarter of this year, the production pace is expected to come down somewhat here in the fourth quarter. And USDA is expecting to see a roughly a $4 increase in the live cattle price from 143 in the third quarter. They're looking for an average of 147 in the fourth quarter. So that would bring a little bit of firmness to the market. And I think that's probably is what helping to support those October and December cattle futures prices. I want to circle back a little bit to this weather question. I'm curious in the short term, especially obviously this late in the season, weather is the name of the game in terms of wild cards still on the table. I'm curious as you look at DTN's forecasts, as you track weather over the next couple of weeks as harvest gets underway, anything causing you trepidation or are you optimistic about what you're hearing in terms of harvest weather? You know, in terms of the bigger picture, and keep in mind, my big concern about the winter ahead is that Europe is so short when it comes to natural gas supplies that we're going to also become part of that situation. And I think we're going to see a real tightening of fuel and natural gas supplies here this winter in the U.S. The good news, Sarah, is that at DTN, we are expecting warm temperatures to be mostly dominant through the fall months and really right into the month of December. So it's going to be very helpful not to have an early winter start this year where we have to burn up a lot of fuel early. And uh, that warm weather forecast, I think, is going to be favorable for a lot of reasons. And of course, for row crop harvest, it's going to be tremendous. It'll allow us to make good, quick progress and probably with a minimum of propane needed for drying, probably If there is propane needed, it's probably going to be in the eastern Corn Belt. I just drove through northern Illinois yesterday in that horrific rain, and they got four to five inches in some areas. So there are going to be spots that are wet, and they may need to dry down their corn. But for the most of the central and western Corn Belt, we're looking at a dry, warm fall. And overall, that's going to be good news for the corn and soybean harvest. I appreciate, though, that you mentioned Europe as part of this, because that was my next question. I think I asked this a couple of months ago, but I feel it feels worth checking in again as we get <laughs> closer to this coming winter, essentially. I'm curious whether you feel like the potential input situation and how it might limit fertilizer in the coming year, how it might limit propane supplies and kind of other fuels and how whatever happens in Europe this winter as it cascades seemingly inevitably into the world's economy, especially around inputs. Has that risk been priced into the market at this point, or would you expect to see continuing impacts from that in prices and um, demand still in the months ahead? No, I expect there to be dramatic market distortion in the months ahead. And it's always funny to me that when it's warm and nice out, we can talk about the possibility of a cold winter all we want till we're blue in the face or blue in the toes or frostbite for that matter. But until we viscerally get into that cold season and feel that cold weather, the market really never gives it as much respect as it deserves. And to have a winter here where already Europe is in a dire situation, they're already cutting back their their factory usage, their factory production. They're cutting back the production of fertilizer, as you alluded to, because they just don't have the natural gas available and they know that they have to start rationing now 
if they're going to make it through this winter because Russia is not going to provide them the supplies that they're used to getting. It's going to be a very tough situation, and I think us in the U.S. are going to try to respond to that by exporting as much LNG as possible uh, to Europe, but we can't totally solve that problem, but it will quite possibly strain our supplies here at home. Again, as I mentioned, I don't think the prices will reflect those problems so much in the fall before December, but boy, once you turn the corner around Christmas and get into the new year, then it's kind of all bets are off as far as what kind of damage the cold temperatures do. Uh, and that's always a hard call. And of course, we had a real uh, tough shot of that. Uh, it was just two years ago in February, we had a very tough situation of an Arctic blast hitting down into Texas and Louisiana that really disrupted our energy supplies and energy grid here in the U.S. So it, it, it's hard to rule those types of things out when you get into winter. I think I just have one last question. I'm just going to throw some things on the table. The stock situation in general, tightness of supplies is a big part of this. We also have lingering out there. We have COVID. We have the Russia-Ukraine crisis. We have inflation. We have a possible some other economic disruptions. So you talked a little bit earlier about the possibility of a recession or economic contraction of some other kind. Yes. Are you thinking about those other things? <laughs> What are you focusing on as you get into the kind of part of this harvest season following the markets? Yes, you're right. There are a mix. I would say that the bullish possibilities still far outnumber the bearish possibilities. And I say that partly because we've seen China go through these COVID scares many times now, and we have yet to see their grain demand really be disrupted. They still get up and eat the next day. And so their food demand or feed demand doesn't appear to be slowing down through all these COVID lockdowns that they're experiencing and whatever economic hurdles that they're up against. We just have not seen that play out. As far as the interest rate situation and the inflation situation and the possibility of recession here in the U.S., yes, there is a chance we could come up against a slower time for the economy. But Boy, for those of us that remember double-digit inflation rates, 3.5% interest rates that the Fed is anticipating by the end of this year, that doesn't really sound catastrophic to me. I think most businesses and most people in situations can weather the storm of 3.5% interest rates. So I'm not expecting the big catastrophe on the bearish end. On the bullish end, the cluster of bullish events is really unprecedented in my lifetime. Sarah, just about every major river that you can think of in Europe has gone, I won't say gone dry, but it's shriveled to the point that many of them just aren't functioning well at the current time. And that's something that we have not seen. We are seeing that with some of our rivers here in the U.S. The Yangtze in China is another river that is much lower than normal. They're having extreme drought in southern China, which is where they grow a lot of rice and some of their wheat. Just about everywhere you go, every major food or feed growing region in the world is under some type of attack, whether it's from drought or the war situation in Ukraine. And it's very concerning to me, and especially the people at the lower end of the income scale in this world, of course, are most vulnerable. The chief economist for the UN said that 1.7 billion people are at risk of going hungry this year. And I, I tend to take him at his word on that. So 
Worldwise, we've got a very tough situation, and that's where when all these events come together and we see corn supplies and soybean supplies and wheat supplies all get to very historically low ending stocks levels at the same time. I think that's a big concern moving forward. We got to hear USDA's updates in this report today. How has this changed your outlook or perspective going into the September 30th? Yes. First of all, I should reiterate that I love USDA's quarterly grain stocks reports, and I think it's fundamentally and for a lot of good reasons, the most important numbers and the most important method that they have of helping us try to pin down what exactly the corn and soybean supplies are at the end of the season. So this September 30th report will tell us just exactly their best estimate of taking inventory around the country and finding out just how much corn and soybeans there are on hand on September 1st. And I think this is probably going to be one year where the September 30th report actually comes in fairly close to what we just saw here Monday. So USDA is estimating 1.525 billion bushels of ending corn stocks, and they already bumped up the corn export estimate to get there and brought down the ethanol estimate a little bit. I think those were probably the main things that needed to be done ahead of the September report. So I, I don't expect much change in the corn number. And in the case of soybeans, 240 million bushels is today's guess for that old crop ending stocks estimate. If there is a surprise, the soybean demand situation has been very tight. And we've got a September soybean contract in delivery right now, and there have not been any deliveries yet. So if there is a surprise, it could be even a little tighter than the 240 that USDA said here on Monday. But I'll be very interested to see what they say on September 30th. You can read Todd's full analysis and up-to-the-minute reporting on all things ag markets at dtnpf.com and in the DTN Progressive Farmer magazine. This episode of Field Posts was brought to you by the team at DTN Progressive Farmer. With special thanks to Todd Holtman. This episode was produced and edited by me, Sarah Mock, with support by Greg Hillier and Kylie Swanson. And a big thanks to all of you for listening. If you like the show, please rate, review, and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. And until next time, remember, the future of farming is here. This episode of Field Post is brought to you by DTN Ag Weather Station. Are you looking to get more accurate, hyper-local weather information? By gathering weather and agronomic data directly from your own fields, DTN Ag Weather Station supports you when making targeted decisions around expensive or high-risk activities like chemical applications and irrigation. DTN's Ag Weather Station can be purchased for as low as $9 a month depending on your current customer status with DTN. If you're looking to increase your weather accuracy while saving time, please visit DTN.com.